All right, I'm going to try this again. Um, tried doing a podcast in my backyard, and then the neighbor decided to do some yard work, so that isn't usable. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about how frustrating it is at this stage of the game having a YouTube channel where I talk hockey, and the the biggest news is what's not happening. It, it it's frustrating and I had figured that by now we would have the big names off the boards no offense to Zach Wierenski and Pavel Zaka they're not really the big names the big names would be Marner Point, Besser any of these guys sign a contract a video is going to go crazy and I'm going to be like okay cool I can relax um, I would even wound down a lot of the history series that I've been doing uh, the only seasons I have left to cover are 2016, 2017, 2017, 2018, and their season that just passed. And the view counts are going down for those already, the the most recent ones I did, because, yeah, we are all hyped about training camps coming, and here we go. And so the historical videos, eh, they don't really get the traffic. So, yeah, I'm in a spot right now where the RFAs are the the big news, and yet the big news is that nothing has happened. And it's a question of why. And I did a video on why a couple days ago. And yet the narrative that's still out there with fans is these kids are being greedy and they need to learn their place and they need to just sign whatever contract's being put in front of them. Well, no. That's not how unions collect a bargaining agreements and that's not how market value works. The problem is for the restricted free agents, there is no market value. The closest you can get is when an offer sheet happens, which is what happened with Sebastian Ajo. Ajo's offer sheet came in as a crazy amount of, of upfront bonus money to try to ward off the Carolina Hurricanes being able to match. Outside of that, we haven't had anything. And not only that, but if, if I'm a GM right now in, in Winnipeg or Boston, I look at that Sebastian Ajo offer sheet and I can go, well, that's not that's not a real offer. That's not a real contract. That was a poaching attempt by the Montreal Canadiens on the Carolina Hurricanes. So we're just going to toss that aside. Um, the Zach Wierenski contract is interesting in that it's a three-year contract. It is worth $7 million in its final year, meaning that they have to qualify him at the $7 million a year mark after that third year is up. It is like the, the Timo Meyer contract, which at the end of that fourth year is worth $10 million. So Meyer's great cap-friendly contract four years from now becomes a minimum of $10 million a year. So we talk about these great contracts these kids have signed go, see, they're not being greedy. Oh, there's there's some some betting on themselves going on here where a team either has to make an offer to them in three or four years at that $7 million for, for Wierenski or $10 million for Meyer, or they have to let him leave as a UFA. So there there is still uh, something to be said about those contracts being, yes, cap-friendly for the team, but also allowing the player to potentially be free in three or four seasons. Now, for the players who don't want to give up unrestricted free agency years, I, I'm not sure how that's greed. I'm I'm not sure how that's greed. Um, when people say, oh, well, they owe the team that drafted them. Well, no, they, they signed a three-year contract when they were drafted. If, if we don't think that these players should have any freedom, then we should take entry-level contracts, take the cap off of them, 
Uh, remember, cap, they're capped at 925 grand a year. Uh, you know, bonuses can be added on top of that. Then take the cap off and make it so your entry-level contract can be eight years. So they can sign an eight-year contract as a draft pick. And then they're unrestricted at the end of that eight-year deal. Done. There's no general manager that's going to take that. The NHL is going to go, uh, that's a horrible idea. Why would we do that? It's always been about control. And I remember uh, back, back, way back, and we're talking a few fights ago, when unrestricted free agency didn't happen until age 31. And players were saying, we think it should be 29. And teams argued, no, that'll cause salaries to go crazy. That'll cause salaries to go way up, and we don't think that's right. You kind of need to pay your dues before you cash in at age 31. Well, they lowered it to 29, and it's been lowered again since then. You can be 27 and become an unrestricted free agent. The, the fact is, it hasn't really killed the market. What it's done is, the market now is dictated as such that, that entry-level contracts are gold, and that most other contracts are going to be handed out to your star players, your middle-of-the-road kind of guys, and then for the veteran player who's looking to prove himself once again, I'm looking at it like a Dion Phaneuf type, they're not going to get a contract offer because the team's going to go, well, he might bounce back and maybe we could pay him league minimum, but we're up against the cap. So a team that right now is at the cap or over the cap, like look at Las Vegas, for example. Beautiful city, could definitely afford to go over the cap, wouldn't bother the team at all, probably wouldn't bother the fan base in the slightest. If if Vegas had um, access to those deep pockets and didn't have to worry about a salary cap, Nikita Gusev is still there, and they likely would have brought in another defenseman in the offseason. They could have given Gardner $5 million a year and brought him in too, and they would have been way over what the current cap is, but they probably would have had a better team. Uh, the salary cap, make sure that you don't have teams doing that. And it means that for guys who otherwise would have contracts, now they don't. So coming back to these kids, they come out of this entry-level contract, which, like I said, is gold to a team. And then they're like, all right, so I scored 92 points this year. If I'm Braden Point, I go, I scored 92 points this year. I look around the league at other players who've scored the same amount of points I have. And here's how much they're making. And here's how old I am compared to them. Here's how many more years I probably have left in my con- in, in my, my career compared to them. I'm likely going to get better. I'm going to bet on myself getting better. I think I'm worth insert value here. Team comes back. Hey, you're coming out of an entry-level contract. You've got to sign that second contract. I had this argument years ago where I said, you know, bridge contracts being gone is is driving up the market. And I had people arguing back, well, bridge contracts are dead. Just deal with it. Now we've got players looking for the bridge contracts, and now it's the teams that don't want to give the bridge contracts because they don't want to lose control. The The control issue is the big thing here. It really is. Because when you look at what, what reportedly, and I, I don't report it on the channel because it's all rumor. It's all rumor. The reports have been that, that the cash value being offered by the team, the cash being sought by the player, they're both the same. The difference is the term. And the freedom to be able to say, you know what, after seven years of hockey, I want the right 
to, if I want to go to Florida, I can go to Florida. If I want to go to the Rangers, I can go to the Rangers. I want the right to, at seven years into my career, make that decision because I'm going to be in my prime. I don't want to sign away my entire prime to one organization at the age of 22 because they drafted me. And this this is where we as fans, there's that divide where we'll say, oh, no, no, they should have complete and total uh, control over players through that first, what, 10 years? It's it's crazy. To me, that's crazy. That's a lot of time. And it, it's weird, too, because, you know, if we were having this discussion 10 years ago and I said, hey, guys, do you think teams should control the first 10 years of a guy's career? Fans would have said, well, no. Um, because in general, player movement has, it's really stagnated. Player movement, it feels like, has, has gone from um, levels in the 80s, which was pretty free-flowing. Guys moved all the time. And big names, small names, rookies, uh, draft picks, um, everybody. Goaltenders would switch places regularly. And now it feels like the guys that move, it's because there's something... Uh, wrong with the situation where they were or they had a bad season or they have a bad contract and straight hockey trades are a lot more rare now than they used to be and the contracts play a large role in that and I think players have figured out that if they have the right to leave on July 1st if they have the right to move on July 1st yes they can make more money but they can also take less money to play somewhere else. Look at Jake Gardner. Jake Gardner took less money and more term to play with the Carolina Hurricanes than he would have taken to play with the Montreal Canadiens. He would have made about the same amount of money in three years in Montreal he's going to make in four years in Carolina. We can we can talk about taxes all we want. Reality is uh, NHL players likely have ways around taxes for the most part where they likely can squirrel money away. And and when they do their taxes at the end of the year, they, they likely, if, do, if they don't get money back, they probably don't pay in as much as we think they do. So taxes, do they play a role? Yes. Um, do they get overblown? Sometimes I think they do. In this case, I think Gardner, if he wanted to go with the greedy contract, he would have gone to Montreal. And in this case, he likely looked at the two franchises and went, geez, you know, Carolina started building something. I want to go to where, where they're building something. And it feels like that team's on their way up. Now it's put Carolina over the cap. So now Carolina's trying to trade Justin Falk. And Falk has a, a, a no-trade clause that includes not going to Anaheim. It's on his no-trade list. So Justin Falk, who was a young defenseman not long ago, really not that long ago, and was highly... Uh, highly regarded, and now he's kind of an extra on this new Carolina blue line that's been remade in the offseason and that it felt like they were going to remake anyways because Slavin and Pesci are going to be the main guys. Now they've added Gardner. So, you know, if you're a young kid who's on who's on this list of RFAs, you also have to be looking at other players around the league and saying, okay, if I give, if I sign an eight-year deal here, um, that's 11 years of my life I'm giving to this team who could, could, three or four years into the deal, be trying to get out from under it and be trying to force me into being traded somewhere I really would rather not want to go. So rather than to put myself in that position, I'm just going to sign four years here. Four years is a perfect contract. I've said this on the channel before, and, and I, I really believe this. Four years is a perfect contract. 
it is it is very hard to find a contract in the league that's four years long that has become a large weight around a player's career. Uh, Bobby Ryan with the centers. I think Bobby Ryan would have been traded years ago and 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 might have had success elsewhere. Uh, but the length of his contract and the and the value hurt. You have both of those together. You look at Louis Erickson in Vancouver. If that was a four year contract, he's going into his last year. Lucic, same thing. Um, the contracts are too long. And and I'm I'm looking at these kids who want a shorter term contract and the fact that people say, well, you know, that's just greedy. Well, think about that. The way I'll close it off is this way. So you've got a 22-year-old right now that's holding out. He signs an eight-year deal. And let's say he gives you a decent cap hit because uh, he's signing a longer-term contract. So that brings down the overall cap hit. He becomes UFA at 30. How much money over what term is he going to... Because then he's free to go wherever he wants, right? And and at that point, he should be, quote, hitting the jackpot. That's We can all agree, I would hope, that at some point in time in a career, a player should be able to maximize their their money. That's kind of how the whole market thing works. If they can't hit the market until they're 30 and... All the research seems to show that players and and their value and their scoring drops when they hit their early 30s. They're not going to get those big contracts when they're 30. They're going to get a two-year contract for less money in all likelihood at 30 because of how hockey is trending and because of how scoring works. Where scoring, which is ultimately what's going to drive the value of a player's contract, um, unless you're looking at a Guy Carboneau type, that scoring is going to drop. A player is not going to make that money at 30. They're not going to get that long-term contract at 30. The contract they would have signed 20 years ago, where at age 30 or 31 when they hit the UFA market, they cash in. That's gone. That's gone now. So we're. I, I think we're seeing a change in the whole, way that the whole market works. And I think this year and next year is going to tell us a lot about the future of of contracts for these young kids. They come into the league more ready than they did um, 20 years ago. Uh, We see fewer instances where a player really struggles to adapt to the game. They come in physically ready. They seem to have um, larger coaching staffs now that are better able to um, insulate these kids and, and to really get them on the right path. So... Everything points to kids being more NHL ready younger and probably burning their entry level contracts right away, which leads to this situation that we're in right now. And again, we're we're gonna see over the next, I would say, week or two that the dam's gotta break. Somebody's gotta be the first to go. A lot of people said, well, Brock Besser will go because he doesn't have the the threat of an offer sheet. None of these guys have the threat of an offer sheet right now. I, I really don't think that's going to happen. And there are players, Marner and Point being among them, that are reportedly have had offer sheets presented to them that they would not sign because they don't want to leave the teams that they're with. So this isn't just, I want to leave. This is, I want the freedom to cash in because we're now in in a market where 
a lot of these young kids, and I, I'm not talking about McDavid or Matthews here. Matthews has a five-year contract. He's going to cash in at the end of that five years. And we can argue he's cashed in already. And McDavid is eight years into that contract. When that contract's over, he is still going to be Connor McDavid. He is still going to be an amazing player. But for a lot of these kids, we'll see. We'll see where they're at in four years. And, you know, there's going to be at least a couple of them that don't last a full eight years, whether it's via injury or they just they fall. It happens all the time where you'll see a player come into the league. They they come in like a house of fire. They look great, and then it just doesn't work out. So, again, these kids, to me, it's just looking out for their future and for, for the general managers. It's we want maximum control for as long as possible. And it further restricts player movement. Uh, Darren Drager was saying today player movement this summer was killed by the restricted free agent issue and by teams not knowing how much cap they were going to have. So trades that we might have seen this summer, done. And it may happen next summer as well. So it is affecting the entire game, and it feels to me like it's a giant game of chicken. And I'm not going to say that GMs are colluding with each other, but whichever GM caves first, likely not going to be popular with some of the other GMs. Probably not going to be popular with other owners. And that GM is going to have to get the backing of their owner before they cave, where they're going to say, you know what, we need this player. We can't afford to be taking the ice without this player. We need him. And I'm going to need you to publicly back me because I'm going to have to meet in the middle. I'm going to have to give him that four-year deal, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of it. And there's going to be some angry general managers and some angry owners that I gave up that control. And I don't know who gives first. I have no idea. And I'm just as fascinated as anybody else. But sadly, while I can sit here and talk to you, find people on a podcast with it, it isn't really something that I can get a whiteboard and present it in any way, shape, or form that is going to be visually interesting. It's just free-form conversation and how is this going to turn out? Because it really feels like this is a watershed moment. This is a huge watershed moment. And everybody's waiting to see what shoe drops first. I still think Braden Point, but I don't know what the value is. And if the value comes in at a pretty decent value, what is going to be the term for that contract? Because again, these guys just want the ability to do what everybody used to do. The 80s and the 90s, guys became unrestricted free agents and they went where they wanted to. And sure, there were talks about how greedy those players were, but we didn't really make a big deal out of it, and it feels like now we do. And and because the players are younger now when they want to reach that, that level, because of the fact that they're better conditioned and the fact that it feels like these kids just seamlessly transition, the conversation's changed, and it'll be interesting to see how that conversation is shaped by contracts these kids sign over the next couple of years. Are fans going to accept it and go, yeah, no, yeah, they're, they're worth it. That's what the market says. Or will that that greed label start following hockey players the way it has followed players in other leagues who, again, are just trying to get market value usually. Sometimes they're jerks, but that's the way people work. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, for uh, giving me your ear, lending me your time. It's greatly important. Um, time is very valuable. So thank you guys for that. And, uh, yeah, let me know. Who do you think signs first? And where does this end up? 
do the players cave because they don't have anything any anything to stand on here? Do they have to cave, or are our GMs going to be forced to cave when a team is slow out of the gate because they're missing they're missing a couple of their best players? I look at Boston, two major defensemen in McAvoy and and Carlo. I look at Winnipeg with Line A and and Connor. Those are two organizations that cannot afford to be without their restricted free agents to start here. So we'll see how that turns out. Thank you guys for your time. I'll talk to you again soon.